Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Sadar Ramaswamy. He's the co-founder at Neva. Sadar, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm super excited to be here, Kevin. Um, really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me as well. I've actually been using Neva. You guys were nice enough to let me have early access to the thing. I've been playing with it for well over a month. Really, really enjoying the product. But maybe before we get into that, Let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in South India. My parents moved all the time. So uh, uh, I moved pretty much uh, every year. I went to uh, get my bachelor's at uh, IIT Madras. Uh, it's oh, in a big cool. uh, South Indian city called Chennai. Then came to Brown for a PhD. What did you take in university and why? Oh, gosh, I wish I could tell you something uh, intelligent. I studied computer science uh, at IIT Madras because it sounded cool. Okay, interesting. No, fair. Was there like a defining moment or moments in your childhood where you got interested in, in tech and computers or, or walk us through that? <laughs> um, so, you know, at least the time that I grew up, um, there was definitely, it was like a phase in Indian history where pretty much everybody wanted to be a doctor or an engineer. Uh, you know, other countries have gone through similar phases. So it was a bit of um, that. Um, I like creating things. Um, I like, uh, I do a lot of reading and writing. Um, and uh, so it was, I loved math. So it was all of these things that made me gravitate towards computer science. But it was very much, you know, something I fell in love with. Um, I love the act of creating, of writing code, of creating something from nothing. Um, and that is like a nice feeling that builds on itself. And if I were to look back, um, I would say it, programming was something that I could kind of just do and have time be suspended. So I tell people, you know, and they ask me, hey, what should I pick for a profession? I tell people, yeah, pick something where time stands still. For me, it was that. Interesting. No, that's very cool. And I can totally relate to that, like, I love going from just like a white screen to something and then getting people to use it. And especially if a lot of people use it, right? Like once you hit that thousand user, 10,000 and plus, and you know, even if you can get up to like a million users, it's like, it's almost like a rush, right? Or like a high 100%. that you keep oh, 100%. chasing. 100%. Um, just uh, hearing you say, for example, at the beginning of this show that you have tried Neva, that you like it, um, it actually means a lot. It's like, oh my God, that is so cool. Um, I had uh, Jim Fallows, the, the fabled American writer, try us sure. yesterday. And he's like, oh, oh, you're surprisingly good. I was like, oh my God, my day is made. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very cool. So before we get into Neva though, walk us through your career because you've done some really amazing things at some amazing companies. And then let's get into what exactly Neva is and how you came up with the idea. Uh, uh, I would put this in three phases. 
Uh, one is very much a research career. I told you I got a PhD at Brown. I wanted to be an right. academic. Um, and so I went to work at Bellcore and at Bell Labs um, doing academic research in databases. Um, it's a very specialized skill. Um, and at some point, at some point, something kind of snapped in me and said, I don't really want to write papers that like literally 10 people in the world are going to read. Uh, I want to do something that's more broadly applicable. Um, and so my wife and I moved to uh, Silicon Valley like 99. Um, and uh, I joined a startup. It like did spectacularly well and blew up just as spectacularly in the dot-com boom <laughs> and bust. Um, joined Google to be an engineer in 2003, early on in an amazing company. Um, grew with the company. I was sort of the, you know, in a weird way, I was the right combination of someone with an academic background, a little bit of a brooder, you know, like, you know, overthinking some things um, and, uh, and caring very much about things like technical leadership. Um, and so Google gave me incredible opportunities uh, to lead larger and larger teams. I led the search ads team. I worked in the search ads team for the entirety of my 15, 16 years at Google, um, led bigger and bigger teams, um, learned the hard way what it was to be a good leader, um, and eventually ran a team that was like 11,000 people. And that number sort of wow. staggers me even today, um, running a $100 billion business. And so I got amazing opportunities. I'll forever be grateful to many people, my bosses, Jeff Huber, Alan Eustace, Eric Schmidt, uh, even the fabled Bill Campbell, who gave me time, who gave me opportunities. It was the most incredible journey ever. Um, but towards the end, there was also this kind of disillusionment phase of, you know, um, uh, questions around principles. What are ads doing to the internet? What are ads doing to YouTube? Is this really the right kind of long-term incentive that is good for all of us? Um, I left mostly because I just wanted a reset. Um, and then I would say this is the this is the new phase. Uh, uh, Neva is at the micro. You have to create a good product that you love and you will pay for. At the macro, it's really a, a think of rethink of how technology should be created and what relationship that we as people should have with technology. Um, and so I would put it in these three phases. Interesting. So how did you come up with the idea and what made you actually decide to go for it and do it? Good question. Uh, I left Google not really knowing what I wanted to do. I just knew that. I didn't want to work on ads. I didn't want to just keep doing what I was doing. I wanted a reset. Um, and uh, I knew a lot of folks at uh, Greylock. Um, sure. And I joined as a venture partner. Um, it's a very flexible role. You know, It's some investment, but you can also become a CEO. Uh, so we, I spent a lot of time just thinking, spent a lot of time talking to my co-founder, Vivek. Um, and Neva is in some ways sort of the conceptualization of these ideas. We wanted to work on a meaningful problem, a problem that could have impact. Um, but we also wanted to make sure that we set ourselves up in a way um, that was going to you know, be true to ourselves, be true to the person that we were creating um, the product for. Uh, and we knew that uh, ad-supported search was great. It brought search to all of humanity. Um, sure. But uh, um, we realized that while this was a very big market, search is a $150 billion market. It's kind of hard to imagine how big it is and how much it is still growing, 20% year on year. And it's never been wow. the case that there's been a single company that's commanded like 90 plus percent of market share. Typically, these things don't happen. These companies get disrupted. There's a platform change. There is something else. 
Um, but we realized that we love the problem of search. After all, it's helping you find what's in your head. Um, and in our head, it turns out like there's all kinds of stuff um, and very personal ones. Um, and uh, so we wanted to rethink what search could be. Neva as a result of these conversations, we said the only way we can truly create a product for the ages is by starting and focusing on the consumer who is also the customer. And so hence our idea of Neva being subscription search. Um, once we decided that, things like ads free, of course, a natural consequence. Why would you not give people peace of mind? Being focused on privacy, another completely natural consequence. Why would you not create a product that brought this sense of comfort, that brought the sense of security to your user and customer? And then comes the customization. Why would you not want to create a product that gives agency to the person that is using it? Because, well, they're paying you. It's the right thing to do. Um, so it's really like you start with an idea, love the problem of search, start with a business model. Hey, we want to be paid by customers. And then a whole bunch of things arise with these two things. These are the, you know, I love ideas like this, but it's one insight and then you can unravel the thread and watch other things come by. It's the reason why we are so incredibly excited to this day, even though clearly the problem is hard, you know, uh, being playing in the same market as a trillion dollar company is uh, clearly in some ways is not the smartest thing to do, but we love the problem and we think we have a special insight. Interesting. Like I'll give you my thoughts in a few minutes, but I, how do you explain Neva to what it is today to people? Because the, the things that I notice that I really, well, I you explain it and then I'll tell you what I really love about it and how it's different than a traditional search engine, in my opinion. Sure. Um, we describe Neva as search reimagined, ads-free and private. As you know, the first words, the first concept, the first picture that you show somebody um, is pretty decisive. People make up your their mind about what a product is, about honestly who you and I are as people in like two seconds, three seconds. Um, sure. And so that's the most concise definition. When we say ads-free, private search, people are like, ooh, that sounds cool. Um, that's what sure. gets them to come to our site to look at the product. And they go, I like that. I like the worry-free aspect of it. I like the fact that I only have real search results in the product. Um, and then we go through a process by which, yes, they sign up for the product, they try the product. Um, the initial feelings that come after they try the product are things like, oh, wow, this is like so clutter-free. This is so relaxed. And the fact that there are not all these ads chasing me around means it just feels calmer. Um, and then we help them customize the product. We help them make the product their own. Um, so at one level, it is subscription search, but as a company that does not yet have a brand name that has to fight for that bit of attention from you, we start with, hey, ads-free private search. People try us. And then they fall in love, honestly, with different aspects of the product. And that's the beauty of a subscription model. Of course, I want to know what you know your experience has been like um, and you know whether you think we can do better in terms of how we pitch and position the product. Sure. For, for me, I, I got like what you just outlined immediately just looking at your website before I even tried the product. But I think the thing that I didn't realize until you guys onboarded me for like about 30 minutes, like walk through, yep. which I thought was awesome. And I think 
that's kind of the new standard of onboarding people to a product. And I really, I really like that, how you have somebody from your team sit with me on video chat and kind of set it up how I would use it and, and relate it to me because you can create all the tutorial videos or the click walkthroughs or the onboarding flow through things, but that isn't tailored to me. And I, I really like that. The, the one thing that I think um, wasn't clear until I started using the product is to me, it's like a dashboard of when I open my browser. And what I mean by that is when I search, if I choose to, just for the listener, I can connect my Google account, my Office 365 account, my Dropbox account. And then what starts to happen is I can search the web, my files, my email from a single search box. And, and so to me, it's like this unified search of the internet, my own personal stuff, plus kind of like a dashboard where when I first go to it, I get like the weather of the places I want to follow because I usually follow my home city and then a couple other places that I either like to travel to when we can travel again. Um, some stocks that I have invested in. I see my calendar on the right-hand side. So, And then I start seeing some news underneath that I choose to pick. So for me, it was more like a unified dashboard that searches kind of my life and the internet. D does that make sense? 100%. Um, that is the vision. Um, but uh, what you have gone through is like a process of kind of getting there, of saying it's OK to connect your uh, personal data. Um, and then, of course, we deliver the value of everything. Some people have like seven email accounts, especially yeah, kids going to college have like three or four email accounts. It's just really hard to keep track of what is going on. But that's the beauty of the model, Kevin, where we are going to create these aspects of delight for a ton of people because it is the only job that we have. What will shock you to know is that the size of the Google ads um, and the Google sales teams is roughly like four times the size of the organic search team. Um, and, uh, and that means that the vast majority of the intellectual capital of the company is sort of going towards making ads better for advertisers. I don't grudge the business model, uh, but the beauty of Neva is we create one thing, a product that delights you. Uh, and that's what lets us focus the entirety of our attention and the clean business model. Hey, um, Neva will never take money from anybody other than customers. Neva will never show ads. Neva is always there to protect you. Um, these are the things that we think we increasingly see as necessities um, in this current world where trust is like so hard to come by. To us being squeaky clean about these things uh, places Neva in a very different environment, one of trust, one of a company that has clear business models, but also is very clear about who its North Star is. It is you, the customer. Uh, but yeah, it comes out as a set of features that work for you, that help you day in and day out. You know, it's also the case that search is the daily use function. Um, our users use search like a dozen times a day. Um, and uh, for us, having this like worry-free you first product to a certain extent is going to become, why would I not want that for a ton of people? 
No, 100% agree. I want to just cover something quickly. When I add my accounts, like my Google and my Office accounts and my Dropbox account, you're not actually like tracking any of that. And if I deleted all my data is gone, like you're never mining that stuff. I like, I know that, but I just want to clarify that to the listener. 100%. Uh, so that data is used to serve results for you. If you disconnect a connection, all of the data is gone. Um, and just overall, like with this data, with any other data, we have the strict policy of only getting paid by customers. Um, so we don't plan to create like other products, show affiliate links, none of that stuff. Your data is used to serve results for you. We are in fact so finicky about this that in the what we call the personal data pipeline that is indexing your personal data, we literally do not use any third-party services other than the ones that run the core Amazon infrastructure. We're exceptionally finicky about making sure that we protect the sanctity of your personal data. Um, and uh, uh, and it's again, it's the business model that makes all of this possible. Sure. No, that makes sense. The, the one other thing that I want to cover before we dive into some of the more business model stuff, I know we touched on it quickly, is Spaces is basically like a better bookmarks. And you guys have done a really good job at creating these spaces where I can obviously like bookmark stuff, but I can rearrange it. I can share it. I can add descriptions. I can add notes and comments and stuff like that. Why did you think that adding that to Neva was so important? It's a great question. Uh, and the basic thesis is that search is the gateway to information for lots and lots of people. Uh, this is how you discover stuff. Um, and whether it was on the feed or whether it was via search, you get to interesting things. That's point one. The other thing is that a search does not exist in a vacuum. You typically have something that you want to accomplish in mind. For example, like, you know, the blinds that are in front of me are kind of lame. I'm like, oh, I would sure like to change these to curtains. Um, but it's a project. You know, there's like a bunch of sure. detail that I have to keep track of. Um, and uh, and so Spaces was really like, hey, help people organize things in a nice, easy fashion as they are consuming information. And this gets particularly delightful, by the way, um, on things like our mobile app, where the search function also doubles up as a browser very naturally. It's just a way of um, aggregating things that might be interesting um, to you. Um, and there are really nice use cases down the road. Uh, if you collect a bunch of magazine articles or blogs and put them into it, we can recommend other things just like that uh, potentially for you. Or you can share a space um, with another Neva user, um, and they'll get notified if you add things to a space. Um, and we are also having some of our users, we'd love for you to do this, Kevin, um, where if you create a public space, um, you can you can share that or you can put that on your site. Um, and we'll like soon have a feature by which people can say, hey, when Kevin adds something to his favorites list of books, let me know. Um, to us, it's just like a little thing that helps people better organize how they consume information. Um, and it felt very natural to have it be part of the product because search is how a lot of us discover things, especially like you know stuff that we want to get done. No, very cool. So 
I've been using Neva, obviously, on the desktop. You can use it on Android and iOS. Why did you guys decide to obviously keep that functionality, but also build an app? You can, you know, all of you know this, uh, uh, there is just so much more functionality uh, uh, that you can get done in a mobile app. Uh, sure. The first one is that uh, changing default search on mobile is really hard. On Safari, it's sure. not possible. And on Chrome, you have to go through a bunch of pretty rough steps to go change the default search. Um, the nice thing about an app is that searching and browsing is naturally bundled together. And both iOS and Android have pretty um, good password management. Uh, so if you, you know, have an account with a site, autofill works works just fine. This is the main reason why we made the app because um, we are able to create kind of like this integrated experience um, of searching uh, and browsing within our iOS app. And one of the things that uh, uh, Darren, who joined us recently, he was the head of Chrome, super excited about doing is something like Spaces but auto clustered. If you go to research on a topic. We will like collect those pages with your consent, of course, um, and say, "Hey, do you want to keep these together and give it a name?" Um, because you seem to have been uh, doing some activity, um, and then you can decide, uh, say, you want to share that with a friend or a spouse. Um, and so it's things like that that are possible because uh, because of the app. Very cool. So you've touched on it a bit, and why do you think that? users are really starting to care about privacy and really recognizing that they don't or a lot of people don't want to be the product anymore and they're willing to pay for premium versions of things that they've enjoyed for free for a long time i think one it is the realization that the current kind of ads-based ecosystem for the internet uh, is not really uh, set up for their benefit. Uh, you know, one of the surprising things about remarketing ads um, is that they chase people down. They wear people down. Um, and uh, while we might think that, you know, ads on top, like, what's the big deal? I can scroll past them if I don't like them. Um, the fact of the matter is that what is put in front of you, that initial impression that I talked about, ends up mattering uh, a lot. Um, and I think people are just getting uncomfortable with this idea that everything about them is shared with an unknown number of people, and somehow they don't see the benefits of it. It's just this feeling of someone always looking over your shoulder, and it's a very tiresome uh, you know, kind of feeling. And uh, uh, for us, uh, you know, we uh, we think that privacy needs to be built into products. I don't think of Neva as a privacy product. I think of Neva as a great product for you that, of course, has great privacy. Why would you like not have that be part of the core experience of uh, of of search? Uh, so as I said, ads-free private search gets people in the door, but as they come in, they're like, oh my god, this opens up a whole new world of how I deal with information, of how I consume information. Um, and uh, when you look for a product, for example, on Neva, 
uh, people tell us that there is this sort of nice leisurely feeling. Uh, many times when we look up a product, we're just curious. We're not like, you don't want to buy that product this instant. But the way the internet works today is as soon as you search for a product, it's almost like 50 people walk up and they are all trying to remind you every minute of every day that you should buy that product. But we, we want to create much more of an experience where it's like, ah, look for a product. Would you like to see some reviews? Um, you look at some reviews, you decide. Maybe you don't want to buy the product today and just want to set a price alert. You want to make that possible. So it is really about like giving you agency. Privacy at one level um, is something that people deeply relate to um, because we feel like there is no privacy, that people are looking at every single thing that we're doing. But we think like once you start there, it's the gateway to an experience in which it's much more about what you need. It's much more about giving you agency um, over how things work. No, I agree. And it was interesting just doing some searches around shopping or everybody I think at this point has kind of had that experience where you're not even online, but you're around your phone and you say something and you start seeing ads or you search for something. And for the next few weeks, you're just like constantly bombarded with ads for a product that maybe you've bought, maybe you haven't bought yet. But it, it's like, I think people are starting to really realize that it's kind of creepy how you're basically followed around the internet these days. It's 100% creepy. The other side of that is that it also has an economic cost on you. Uh, whether people like it or not, they get coerced into buying things. The reason those ads chase you sure. all across the internet is because they are actually very, very effective. I tell people, listen, I eat what's on top, what's on the island in my kitchen. Um, and so I'm very careful to not put stuff there that I should not eat because just walking by the thing 10 times a day, it's like, oh, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. I'll skip it the first four <laughs> times and then 100% I'm going to eat it after that. The thing is, everybody works the same way. If you're hammered about a product for 50 times, that brand sticks in your head and you're like, ah, maybe I really need this after all. Uh, so it sort of comes back to it's just a quieter, simpler, you're in charge experience. Interesting. So I'm curious to dive a little bit deeper into, obviously you've had a ton of experience building products that a lot of people use, which, and, and building them really simple for people to use, which the simpler a product is, the harder it is for the design and engineering teams to actually execute on that. But how did you keep Neva so simple, but have such a complicated back end for the user it's simple but for you guys it's got to be incredibly complicated this you have to sweat the details uh, we have an amazing design team uh anton our head of design uh used to work at whatsapp and so he has this yeah. uh this 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 ingrained element of simplicity um that he brings to every single thing that uh you know that he does um, and um, you know, all of the other designer uh, Rachel's actually from uh, from from Canada, and um, these are it's an amazing team. We sweat a lot about the user experience, and we really have to give them credit um, for keeping that experience simple uh, and uh, uh, simple and pure. And it's going to be an ongoing challenge to kind of have that same feel as we add on. Uh, features uh, to what people want. Uh, and so we've also built 
um, things like being able to show like live tutorials within the product so people can better understand how like right-hand side previews work. Um, you're a designer, you know this, but getting people to understand some element in a UI is really, really hard. And so they've tried to be very inventive about not overloading the user, but just giving them just enough information that tells them, hey, there is a here, here. And so, um, you know, great UI and UX is a labor of love. It's everything from how do you use a gradient at the end of a carousel to, to show that you can actually, um, you know, move the carousel right, left. Um, so it's, it's a lot of sweating details. It's a lot of really caring about uh, the user experience. We also do a lot of uh, user interviews. And uh, you know this, Kevin, so humbling. Um, I won't mention mm -hmm. who, but I onboarded personally, again, um, somebody that is one of the most respected figures in search. And Interesting. I had trouble for three minutes showing them how to change default search on Chrome. That's when I was like, sure. oh my God, this is hard. Sure. Yeah, well, and like not to, well, Google doesn't want you to change the default search in Chrome, right? So there is, there I, is like, a little bit, but yeah. yes. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the other thing that I found interesting that we haven't touched on yet is you have a browser extension that basically disables trackers as like when I'm not using Neva and I'm just using the internet. And one of the most fascinating things is when you guys were onboarding me, when I would go to sites and you could see like 20, 30, 60 trackers sometimes on one website on their homepage, right? And so you guys are not only trying to build my privacy into search, but you're also trying to take it outside of Neva and search and actually help me at a browser level as well. This is a really good uh, point. And uh, it's an issue that uh, is very tricky and we really want to do right. Uh, at one level, when it comes to consumers on the web, we think that there needs to be a much simpler definition of privacy. Uh, I don't grudge anyone wanting to show ads if somebody visits their site and wants to use it for free. People have to make a living. So I knew for certain that uh, we did not want to create an ad blocker. Uh, and we, and in fact, we uh, obviously, we do not do that. On the other hand, I also felt equally strongly that surreptitiously having hundreds of companies keep track of what you do when you go to a site was also just wrong. Um, and sure. uh, uh, it is that surreptitious observation that, you know, it's called tracking that uh, we prevent with the browser extension. Our take is that what you do with the site that you visit is between you and the site. Um, but should other people know about it? Uh, no. Uh, by the way, there are technology companies that like help use, I mean, that help provide useful functionality like payments um, for websites. We make sure that the tracker doesn't prevent that kind of functionality um, from working. Um, but tracking for the purposes of just information gathering or advertising, we have a problem. By the way, this is very similar to the kinds of changes um, that Apple and Firefox have been making to their browsers, to their operating systems. I think this is the world that our future is, uh, you know, is at. No, 
I, I 100% agree with you. The, the, well, I, I think the big thing is, is you're just giving people the choice uh, as along with Apple and other companies that are doing it. They're, you're giving the user the choice to be tracked or not to be tracked because there's sometimes that I want to give a site or an app or a company my data because I, and I maybe want them to track me in certain cases because I can find some benefit to that. I think where it, what you guys are really doing is you're basically putting it front and center and letting the user decide where they want to go. And I think the other thing that might not be clear, just it's hard, just audio only with these things sometimes is, is like I can use Neva, but if I want to go to Google, I can still search Google. Like I don't have to use just you guys all the time. Right. And I think there's, there's the odd time where you maybe want Google to track you and other times you don't, and you're just giving people a choice. Is that, I mean, that's, that's fair to important. say? That's 100% right. Uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, we need to sort of move more into a world where people are able to make these informed choices. I think for too long, tech companies have given the illusion of choice by setting up, uh, you know, by setting up things behind uh, defaults or hard to understand changes. Back to the point about how difficult it is to change your default search on 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 Chrome. Um, I think it is uh, it is much more time for a simpler, clearer interaction uh, online. And that's sort of what we aim uh, to sort of push really, really hard on. Um, and uh, those are the product principles that we want to have as core of our product, and we hope in the core of more and more products on the internet. Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So. I guess we're kind of on a new frontier of the internet, I feel, especially the pandemic, I think really kind of accelerated this. Obviously people are working from home and whatnot, but I, I feel like we are really kind of in a new frontier around business models and actually making the internet a safer, more privacy if you want it, uh, more secure space. What are your thoughts or predictions for where do you see kind of the internet going, whether it has anything to do with what you guys are doing at Neva or just what you see in the whole space? Because you've been around this space for so long and done some really amazing things with some really big companies. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, this is a natural evolution of the internet. When it first came out, it was like an academic curiosity. If you sure. try to sell something on the internet, other people would like yell at you. Uh, the first time you know, email was spent about a product, that's when it was called spam. And uh, you know, the, per the poor person that did it got a lot of flack. Um, I think it took like 10 years, 2010, 2000 to 2010, um, for, the, for us to understand that buying stuff, physical goods on the internet was okay. Um, and sure. uh, this has been like, you know, obviously companies like a Walmart um, or an Amazon uh, really kind of came into, into play. That has continued over the last 10 years um, with more and more connections between the real world um, and the, uh, you know, and the internet uh, with companies like Airbnb or an Uber. 
Um, they help you connect with real world entities. Um, I think part of what has happened along the last 10 years is that people have come to the realization that ads alone are not going to support great content. Um, the fact of the matter sure. is that the two large ads players, uh, Google and Facebook, and then Amazon, command the vast majority of ads revenue. Um, and it's really not going to be the case that there is going to be a super healthy content ecosystem that is based purely on ads. I think we're moving into a phase where people are saying, I will pay for quality services, for quality totally. information, for peace of mind. This is where we are seeing, for example, the sovereign writer movement um, is really about you know, two things. One, it's about the disaggregation of newspapers, but it's also about relationships where people are saying, yeah, I really love this podcaster. I love Kevin. If he has a paid podcast, I will happily pay for it. Um, and uh, I think Neva comes in here where we are saying, what you look for really matters. It has a profound impact on uh, the products that you buy, on who gives you information, the news that you read, um, and honestly, your like mental health as a whole. Um, and we are saying, we want to create this worry-free service. I see this as a like a continuing arc in the evolution of how information is going to be consumed. Um, we want to, in this, by the way, we want to support publishers. I think what has happened is that uh, you know whether it's a Facebook or a Google, they don't really work directly for publishers. Their attitude is, well, if you make money with ads, that's wonderful. I don't really care beyond that. Um, when we use information on Neva, we want to make sure that we actually have a rev share program for publishers. We want to support yeah, them getting more subscribers. We want to support them having paid subscriptions to things. Um, I envision a world, for example, in which if you want to sign up for a Substack newsletter or some other podcast, um, we would do it at cost because my customers are going to be paying me for the core Neva service. I don't need right. to be a toll taker on everything else that goes on. And so we want to facilitate things like that. And when we use your content directly on our product, we want to give you a cut of the revenue that we are going to be making. Uh, so we think there's like this broad sweep of evolution where people are uh, realizing information really matters. It has a profound impact on our life. I should be willing to pay for it. And then companies like Neva that says, yes, and we will be um, a part of creating a much healthier content ecosystem in which publishers feel valued. Um, and it's not the case that, you know, like with the NBA, uh, 10 great uh, sovereign writers succeed and everybody else is scrounging for money. We want to create more of an, more of an environment in which people scalably make money. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. The other thing too that I've been doing over the last couple of years is I'm we're overwhelmed with so many different things. And I think this has nothing to do with Neva, but I think you guys do a similar thing is like messaging apps these days. There's so many of them. And like, I know there's tools out there where it unifies them all into one kind of inbox or app. And I think you guys are doing that with search and kind of everything around that, like we talked about earlier in the show. And I think more and more people, especially as you get busier in life and um, want that kind of unified experience. It's like, I go here for search. I go here for like my messaging. I go here for my like work. And, and, and I've really kind of compartmentalized my 
life and my laptop broken up into these like specific verticals because it's hard to go to like 10 places or check 12 different things just for like one thing where my biggest takeaway and my biggest thing that I found value with Neva is just being able to search my numerous email addresses, right? And my numerous Google drives all in one place as well as pulling content from the web, right? And I found apps in other verticals that do different things outside of search to facilitate that exact thing. And it's almost like premium services and these like apps that just save you a ton of time and add a ton of value. Have you found that? Or what are your thoughts around that like unified inbox experience for people in different verticals? So I think that is definitely an important point when it comes to information and discovering stuff. Uh, you know, I <laughs> it's funny, but true story. Uh, I could never find anything in Google Drive. Um, all of my life sits yep. on Google Drive on, you know, it's it's like a paid account. I pay for a terabyte of storage, but I could never find anything in it. So I used to send myself emails, Kevin, with yeah. the yeah. exact keywords that I hoped I would remember to use when I wanted the exact same document. thing. That's amazing yeah. that you do that. Uh, wow. Yeah. I would like, if it's a passport, I would write out Sridhar passport latest yeah. in an email message put a link to the PDF doc and send it to me and hope that in the future, I would remember to type from colon me to colon me through their passport <laughs> and hope this doc shows up. Um, that used to be my search yeah. algorithm. Um, now I just type yep. through their passport into the browser and the result shows up. That's the utility That's of being able to bring things together. And I have the same problem now on mobile. I'd love a solution. Um, you know, I have, uh, I have WhatsApp. I have two messaging, uh, you know, two SMS apps on my phone, Google Wise and the iOS yeah. messaging app. Um, I have uh, I have Signal. The list just kind of keeps going on and on. And so I think there needs to be a push for some kind of interoperability, but also like one place. We need a bit of peace. Technology needs to work for us, not like this thing where we just keep getting pulled in a hundred different directions. No, I 100% I agree with you. And it's just, it's hard to keep track, right? If it's not all kind of unified in one spot and you can spend an hour trying to find something that if you just use the correct app, you can find in seconds, right? Yep. That's right. That's right. That's right. Very cool. So we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but you've obviously been in this space, like I keep mentioning, but I'm curious to know what advice would you give to founders or entrepreneurs or kind of anybody that's looking to maybe start their own company because you've done the VC side, you're building your own thing. What do you see people do all the time that you wish you didn't do or wish people would do more of? I mean, this is less about uh, technology or entrepreneurship, but I guess at one level, uh, the biggest advice that I would have for anyone uh, is to be uh, kind to themselves, is to be, yes, expect a lot, but like be kind to yourself, uh, be accepting of uh, who you are. And in a similar nature, be accepting of the people that are close to you, like see the world from their point of view as opposed to uh, you know, jumping to jumping to decide. Um, 
you know, and then and then beyond that, having that belief in yourself, uh, having that optimism for the future is really important, uh, even under difficult uh, situations. It's taken me a long time, for example, uh, to not imagine uh, the absolute worst consequence of everything that goes bad. Uh, it's easy to get into a mode where we take all the good stuff in our life for granted, and when something goes wrong, we like project that forward to infinity. So I think that basic optimism um, that things will be fine if we work towards it, uh, I think is important, is especially important for a founder. Um, you know, I've done a bunch of stuff. I'm very well connected in the Valley. Uh, lots of people um, really are rooting for Neva to succeed. And But I can assure you, I have terrible days. I'm like, oh my God, nothing will go right. Um, Interesting. But it's good advice. I just sleep a bunch and I kind of go like tomorrow will be fine. And you know what? It is fine. Um, that optimism that things will work out, I think really matters um, a lot. And uh, yeah, that those would be my two solid pieces of advice, which is be kind to yourself and to the people around you that matter. Believe in yourself and believe in the future. No, I, I actually think both of those are really good. And I love how you are openly willing to admit that you've obviously done really well for yourself. You know a ton of people in the Valley. You could pick up the phone and, you know, and start connecting with some of the biggest names that everybody's heard of. But you still have those days where you're like, oh, my God, I don't know if this is going to work out or like, right. And I'm, I'm really happy that you kind of close the show with that because I think more and more people need to understand that, that no matter where you are in your career, you still have good and bad days and highs and lows, especially when you're doing a startup. Startups are, startups are particularly hard. This is also why the you know practical advice, again, for entrepreneurs would be, you need a partner. You need a partner that you trust and that trusts you. I could not do this without Vivek. There's just no question. Uh, we complement each other. You also want a partner. I think of this as a little bit, you know, whatever. I'm a software geek, so I'll I'll put it as a, a in a geeky way. Um, sure. You need like you need you need a min max partner. What I mean by that is, you know, when you work with somebody, you want uh, you want to work with someone um, where you end up with like the minimum of the worst qualities that the two of you have and the maximum of the best qualities that the two of you have. You want someone that supports your best instincts, supports your best ideas, and makes them shine, um, while uh, hopefully you're working in a manner that your worst instincts or your worst actions um, get put away because the other person says, yeah, let's not do that. That's not such a bright idea. So to me, having a partner like that um, is really, really uh, important. Um, because that's what lets you get through these days. Because even if you're down, they're like, it's all good, Sridhar. Tomorrow will be better. And there you go. No, I, I think that's really good advice. I'm curious, how did you meet your co-founder? We worked together for more, gosh, like probably 10, 12 years. Um, he joined okay. as a hotshot engineer in my uh, in my first team that I was running at Google in search ads. Um, he, was a, he, was a, he was a rocket ship. Um, we worked together for about five years at the time. Then he went to work on the Google um, Assistant. Um, and then I recruited him back to run uh, YouTube ads, which he did for about four or five years before uh, um, before we started Neva. 
Very cool. I'm sure we could chat for another hour or so, but we're sadly out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, Neva, and any other links you want to mention? Oh, 100%. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, at Neva, we are reimagining search, building an ads-free, private, you-first experience um, for search, all of us search all the time. Um, you can go to neva.com and register uh, on our wait list. In just a few weeks, we want to have, we want to give you the option to sign up for the product right away. Um, that is coming. But uh, uh, in the meanwhile, uh, you can go to neva.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, uh, N-E-E-V-A-C-O, um, and, uh, and, and on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Kevin. This has been a uh, wonderful and touching conversation, and really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Have a good rest of your day. Uh, all right. Okay. Bye. Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com.